Right, it's going to be impossible not to mention the Donald, by the way. I'll warn you that. Oh, right no, now. the Donald's... Yeah. Why? There were absolutely no parallels. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can say that. In the, the okay. Fake news. All the good material. Okay, I think we're there. Shall we start then? Hello everybody and welcome to the Little Film Podcast. My name's Adam and with me tonight we've got Tony. Hi. Patrick. Hello. Ollie. Hello. And Dave. Hello. It's, it's absolutely exhausting just going around introducing everybody. Just remembering yeah. the names. Yeah. <laughs> so, on this second episode, we're talking about The Post. Has everyone seen it? Yep. There was quite a long silence there. I was a bit worried that maybe I'd come into the wrong podcast. Have seen the film. Yeah. Yeah. Two days ago, my lord, <laughs> had the whole cinema to myself. Well, and my girlfriend. Tony's at it again. Tone, Tone, talk us through your experience. What screen number was it? Screen five mm. brought my own mini eggs into the theatre. <laughs> uh, seat E4. So yeah, The Post. We've all seen it. Streep, Hanks, Spielberg, together at last. <sighs> it's, uh, that's the... He's been saying that for about two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just really excited by the prospect of Street Hanks and Spielberg why together, together at last. Why together at last? Why were you on tenterhooks? I just love, for... Well, this is it. I love the idea that everyone's like, oh, at last. It's not something I've ever considered no, before. I've never been all. like, when's that Street Hanks Spielberg film coming out? I love the image of Baff watching Death Becomes Her and thinking, oh, I cannot wait. One day. <laughs> One day. <laughs> so have you all got your notes then? Have you all brought your little notes? I see a few of you have got notebooks. I've, um, I've, prepared 10 sides of a4 which i would quite like if you permit me i'd quite like to just read verbatim at the start here is that all right but before that maybe why don't we reveal our scores will the judges please reveal their scores and also we have we don't know what each are going to say so this is i'm genuinely excited to, all of us. to find out what you all thought of this movie because i have no idea at the moment so i'm going to go the other way this time the other way around the room and start with dave out of 10 please out of 10, I would give it a 7 out of 10. Ollie? Uh, I would give it a 8 out of 10. Patrick? 7.5 for me. Tone? 8. And it's an 8 from me, guys. <laughs> wow. Very oh, we can all go home then. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys. <laughs> uh, just had a look before heading here about the scores online. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, overall uh, 88% from the critics. Um, audience score uh, 74. Is the audience score Rotten Tomatoes? That's the same as IMDb, is it? I think. Because it's 7.4 uh, on IMDb. Uh, Metacritic had 83 and 6.9 from the users. So all pretty all pretty similar. 7.4 on IMDb. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to do going forward on the podcast as well. Just give us a, a flavour of what yeah. the critics have been saying, what the other critics have been saying. Um, so just before we get into it, we should probably say that there's going to be spoilers again, massive spoilers. This is kind of how it's going to work, isn't it? We're going to we're going to yeah. do a deep dive into the film. So I mean, it's also by definition, it's going to be yeah. Well, <laughs> the, what, the, the, yeah. No, because say what you're saying. Earlier. No, because like a lot of uh, movie review shows, like podcasts and stuff, it's reviewing it for people who haven't seen it yet to kind of give them a sense of whether they want to go and see like it. Like Kermit's yeah, reviews, yeah, yeah, he doesn't. He, yeah, yeah. They, they give no, a but synopsis, I mean, but they don't give like um, they don't go like oh that that bit where but a hist- yeah. yeah okay. In history terms. What do you mean? Oh, I see. You mean specifically for the post? Yeah. People know. Oh, yeah. are you talking about generally oh, okay. speaking for the pod? Uh, well, no, because yeah, he yeah. could be saying about spoilers, at the film spoilers, right, like, or poetic license rather than okay, cool. You're right, you're yeah. right, Tone. People, I know what you mean. People like, it's not spoiling the story, I suppose. Who, who because... was it in our history class who we were talking about the movie Downfall and one of <laughs> us mentioned, oh yeah, and obviously the part where Hitler commits suicide at the end and someone in our class went, oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, people probably not worry about those boys, but we're going to get okay. into specifics yeah, okay. of, of scenes and, and things like that. So so I'm just going to quickly read the synopsis from, from Rotten Tomatoes just to, uh, just to refresh people's memory. Steven Spielberg directs Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks together at last. <laughs> you can, okay, it does not say together at last just there. You said that. It doesn't say together at last. I added that bit. Uh, in The Post, a thrilling drama about the unlikely partnership between the Washington Post's Catherine Graham, Streep, 
the first female publisher of a major American newspaper and editor Ben Bradley, Hanks, as they race to catch up with the New York Times to expose a massive cover-up of government secrets that span three decades and four US presidents. The two must overcome their differences as they risk their careers and their very freedom to help bring long-buried truths to light. The post marks the first time Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg have collaborated on a project. Do you write this synopsis? <laughs> I just really li- I like that aspect of it, that they're like, this is the selling point. Streep, Hanks, read that Spielberg, <laughs> together at last. There's quite a sort of positive feeling in the room then. About the movie. Review night. <laughs> um, Very Ollie, similar. do you want to kick us off? Yeah. Maybe? Uh, so one of the things which uh, I felt was most impressive about the film was that although it was set in the 70s, at not really at any point did I feel like I was watching a story from... 30, 40 years ago, it felt like a story was unfolding in front of me, which was like set in the modern day. The issues and sort of stuff it dealt with, I felt were still very like current today. So there was the the, the stuff about obviously the freedom of press uh, and also the stuff about um, like women's rights and women's role in society and companies as well. I thought all of that made it feel like you were watching a contemporary story. Well, you've, you've, you've thrashed out a couple of colossal issues there right at the start, which, yeah, I'd agree with. It, uh, the, th- the funny thing is, is that... When you say issues, you don't mean problems with the film. No, 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 it? sorry. Yeah. I mean issues as in issues that the film does deal mm-hmm. with. And um, I'm right in saying that it was sort of fast-tracked by Steven Spielberg, right, because it because of the cli- political climate it now. <clears throat> turned around very, very quickly. Yeah. yeah. And um, and like Ollie said, it's, it's a film that isn't... Um, it's very well done in terms of the look of it and i found um tom hanks in particular actually he he really somehow looked the part as being like from that era and he kind of looked like he hadn't had much sun he's like a little bit kind of out of shape and 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 uh tired and kind of a busy journalist uh, and the whole look of it was very good um and yet as you say like the issues like one of the reasons it's been so critically well received is because uh, though I hate this expression, and they far too often say this thing of like, it's an important film, which is really annoying, because it's like, I don't think as many films they claim are important. But this one's getting as close as I think you can to actually being like quite an important film for what it for what it shows. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting in the way that they shot like Richard Nixon, for example, through windows, like standing in the uh, White House garden, because it was like, uh, a mirror to what's happening now with the press being on the outside looking in. Yeah, exactly. And, and and uh, well, we're starting with the end, but the thing of um, Nixon saying, right, I, I don't want to let, allow anyone from this paper into the White House. Well, that's virtually word for word what Trump's been been saying. It's about yeah. CNN and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that I'm right in saying that was his voice. That was Nixon from recordings. Uh, I assumed so, but yeah. I didn't actually look that up. Either that, or it's just the most incredible impression. Well, no, it was. Okay. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, no, I agree. That was cleverly shot. Yeah, I, yeah, I exactly. It it obviously feels hugely relevant. It is hugely relevant. I, sometimes I felt like they it it wasn't quite nuanced enough for me on that front. Like the things I liked most about the film were the performances, yeah, the visuals, the look, and it obviously when you've got Spielberg, John Williams, and then the, the cast, oh, <laughs> Street, Street. <laughs> Together, together at last <laughs> uh you know you, you obviously you're in very very safe hands and it, I, I i felt like the pace of it was really really good for what is what was essentially a movie that's just about it's quite a sort of corporate decision isn't it really so they did quite a good job of making that sound quite exciting because i don't think we saw a huge amount of actual journalism in it, it wasn't like it didn't sort of tap into the excitement or the the fe- the fever or fervor of the uh of the journalists themselves. Did you not find? Because I mean, you know about that with your with your job. Yeah, yeah, very as, similar as a journalist. Well, yeah, I feel but like, but yeah. I thought some of those scenes where they're all sort of staying up late, they've got these deadlines, and they've got these lit- I mean, literally stacks of paper all around the office, and they're kind of there is a bit of fervor about you know, oh, who's got the next part of this bit? Because none of the pages. Yeah, that was one small yeah. scene that was really good. I thought, but yeah. I think that just uh, yeah, that there wasn't much of that. But I liked that that sort of you know, that that presumably as an investigative journalist is about as exciting as it gets. We've got these documents that no one else has and you're, you know, you're, you're trying to get a really good piece out quickly um, to break know. that news. I don't know if anyone's seen All the President's Men. 
Yeah, which is about Watergate and yeah. it's about reporters at the Washington Post exposing the Watergate scandal. It's a long time since I've seen it, but my memory of that is that that is much more about the journalism side of things and the kind of uh, excitement and the chase of, of the actual reporting. Right. Whereas, as you say, this was more the kind of upper echelons of the paper and making that kind of corporate decision. But one thing that I did really like about the film was it was in some ways like a love letter to print, like to print journalism and yeah, to absolutely. newspapers. And it felt very much like... You know, it, it kind of made me think about how newspapers are becoming very quickly a relic of a, a bygone age. And it, it was this kind of loving thing, all these loving shots of the printing press and all the newspapers kind of firing out. But And that scene where they run down to get the New York Times to see what's in it. Do you remember that bit? It's like the, the morning papers come in, they're chucking the bundles of papers down on the street and they run that, Hanks and, and co run down to see what the headline is. And the thought of that now is quite strange isn't it yeah, it's, it's, antiqu- it's antiquated a bit it's antiquated it- exactly because that's just not how it is anymore yeah and i was just going to echo that i think like spielberg is almost in awe of the process more than anything else so like those shots in the printing factory are unbelievable and at the end when it's just got all the papers going up on the conveyor belt that was genuinely it's just, beautiful it's unbelievably well shot yeah uh, and inserted throughout the film in a way mm. that never feels like it's a distraction. Like it's always just almost like Spielberg going back to him, but thinking like trying to tell people like this is how amazing it is or it was. Uh, and almost trying to like bring us back to that kind of feeling about news stories now uh, and trying to make journalism feel more relevant again. Mm. Because I think at the moment we discard a lot, like with all the stories about Trump, for example, like they come up and you're like, oh, it's just Trump being Trump. But he's trying to say like, news is important and you know we need to make a bigger deal of and it. news gathering is important like journalism is important like the, the in the sort of clickbaity world as you say everything's so disposable and and that the concept of people taking time over these kinds of stories is important Patrick. well i think um so sana and i watching it but both found that those all those shots of the printing press and um, those templates are incredible. It's, it's amazing to think that... Like, it's so an astonishing like, process. Yeah, like the early 70s, but that, that was still the case that they had all these sort of, yeah, literally the printing press with all these letters, individual, you know, all laid out. Um, and as you say, those shots of all the papers, these huge stacks of the papers um, being printed at the end was absolutely brilliant. Um, and as you say, the, the, the theme of it and the reason it's so uh, relevant now is that these things of Trump attacking papers and saying, you know, the failing this, the failing Washington Post, failing New York Times and stuff. It's not just attacking something now, it's attacking the whole history and legacy of a paper and largely also what this film's about. What's uh, remarkable about the story is that Catherine Graham was like the first uh, female owner of a, of a, of a major paper. Uh, um, and so it was, uh, it was a, obviously a huge deal and they had such an important public role back then as being vehicles for getting the truth to the public. So the whole thing of um, the, the climate now of fake news uh, is, is a great film to come out exactly now. And, that, and that's why like Streep, I mean, Streep's no fan of Trump. You think like maybe there was a, there was a, one, maybe a 1% chance that like De Niro was going to play the, the Hanks role as he probably is one of the only actors who hates Trump more than Streep, but... Yeah, and I think it's it's not just hugely romantic about the process and the physicality of it, but also about the role of news, isn't it? And it, it does a really good job of establishing that in the, the opening section, the opening kind of act, if you like, just before the actual main part of the story, just the background of the journalist in, uh, in Vietnam. And, and it sort of races through that, but very quickly uh, sets the scene for the vital role of it. And then throughout the whole thing, and it... At times, it's again. I just come back to what I said before. It's a bit too obvious to me. There are lots of like a bit too on the nose. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. And just a bit for me, a bit too pointed uh, and kind of the obvious sort of speeches about how important there, it there all was, is. There was a moment when um, Streep's character is coming out of the Supreme Court, and there's all the women kind of looking at her and you know looking admiringly at her. I didn't which mind was a that. little I didn't bit like that. on I the nose was, yeah, for me. I thought it was just it was, it was a bit, it, it, it wasn't quite subtle enough. I'd agree with that. It was fine that, because I don't think it should it be understated. It yeah. shouldn't be understated like how uh, significant mm. a, a role model she was. And also that she has said, um, like Catherine Graham said in, in real life, that like she herself didn't have any role models to look up to of people who had done what she was doing because there weren't any. <laughs> There would have been so many women and people uh, protesting Vietnam 
who uh, you know looked up to the paper for what it was doing, but also looked up to her as as showing like how how powerful um, a woman could become and how well she could do no, in her I, role. I completely agree with that, but I did just think sort of artistically it was a it little was bit done. heavy handed. Just, can, uh, yeah, can I just yeah. bring in Ollie? <clears throat> yeah, I was just, I was just gonna say something about uh, Meryl Streepy pajamas, uh, who spends <laughs> <laughs> who spends yeah. ha- nearly I'd say third of the film in either pyjamas or a dressing gown. I don't know if you noticed that. It's not a dressing gown. It's a really weird dress. Sana picked up, so I don't really notice these things that much, but <laughs> Sana picked up on this. It was really quite an unusual sort of, um, it, yeah, outfit she's wearing yeah. uh, to the kind of uh, party that she hosts, but she's then also wearing that when when all the um, all the other members of the paper are kind of coming in. What? I wondered what you got in that little notebook there, Ollie. <laughs> Just gags like that. Gags, yeah. Gags, gags, What's gags. That? Say that gags he's, number 12. He, you've got yeah. He's closed the book. He's tied his elastic band around it. He's, yeah. he's done. But one thing I thought was really well done, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but probably often a lot of the scenes with Meryl Streepin, she's the only woman in the room a lot of the, the time it, it's it's rooms filled with males yeah absolutely. and it's just her and i thought it's amazing how like because it's quite a like it's shot in 35 mil uh and it's the actual colors are very should ask dave about that he's got a degree <laughs> he can probably... very very washed out but i thought it was really well done how the like color from the film came from her so she was made to stand out as as the women in the room. And I thought that was okay. really, really well done. Mm. Uh, I was just going to say, just on that point of the um, kind of nostalgia element or, the, or what the press used to be like, obviously we should remember that, so we all really enjoyed this film, but also like uh, my mum had seen it a few days before and, and, and for someone like that, like th- that's when she was sort of, well, roughly our age, like when the, you know, when this is going on or a bit, or a bit younger. And um that that whole thing of like the nostalgia of getting the papers, you know, you didn't have any information just to hand and Twitter and all this sort of stuff. So I think uh, to a to an older audience, uh, that's probably uh, probably very effective. Yeah, going back to the the like the importance and role of news in society as well. It was great to see how like because I think we take for granted news. We just like expect to go on our phones or on Facebook or on Twitter and just expect to see news there, and we don't really think about the sort of time and work and effort and thought that go into producing those articles and i thought again it was really great to see like spielberg's sort of love for that that the the amount of like effort and uh, time it takes to put these news articles together i thought that was the other side of that though is that um the material so explosive with what they have and the, the 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 time frame they have to do it in is there's also the other way around in that they've literally got like a few hours and they say, this can't be done. We, we can't like get enough out of this. And so it's that thing of how impressive it is to sort of, to do a coherent, readable, but, but exciting story about, about what's going on. And I think the thing that's at the core of the film, like what the film's about, is really interesting. Like it's a genuine dilemma that they faced about whether to publish or not. It's like, like the Snowden the, thing. The thing well. of, you know, if you, you, either, you either publish and risk bringing down the paper... But if you don't publish, then what's the point of the paper? Yeah, I, know, I think that is the film, isn't it? There's yeah. the, the actual the subject matter, the the process is kind of is, is a backdrop. But I mean, it's largely about like whether, you know, the, the most of the advice that she gets in the film is along the lines of, well, you know, financially it, it'll ruin the paper because it, it jeopardises the, the, the uh, you know, the public offering, the, the, the flotation, which is like, so, you know, it's sort of set up at the start, and that's kind of the main jeopardy. Which I, I that wasn't my sort of favorite. I, I'd rather have it sort of honed in on other things. But mm. but I, th- I think it's interesting, and I think it is relevant today. Again, a financially because a lot of newspapers are struggling, so the financial side of things is really important. And B, just in terms of that question of is your main priority just reporting the news exposing these stories you know breaking these scoops so for example in like trump's white house it annoys me in the press room that you know someone will ask one reporter will ask a question and that you know sarah huckabee sanders will just tell a lie or blow it off in some way and then it goes to the she asks someone else the question and i want them to say now hang on a minute that's not true or no you need to answer that question or so but they don't do that because they're all 
they're more concerned about protecting their own credentials. They've all got their own questions that they want to ask. It's not directly And that's set up quite nicely with the issue of the Nixon wedding and Mm. the reporter who has been and sort of uh, not gone down terribly well with what they've written and and, and sort of exactly jeopardised their future place at the table. I think that thing about the the money is crucial as well, though, because it's this thing of um, is it just about, you know, what'll get the big financial reward or do we take a big hit here and do something that's a genuine Mm. public service? Because, I mean, this is maybe an odd comparison, but... I know there are there are sort of some serious novelists and things who um, have sort of said you know oh I could I could make a great living kind of making um, what do you call it like uh, like James Patterson yeah, or like, like those churn out some pot yeah. boiler novels like I'd make far more money but it's just not worth it like mm. I don't think that's worthwhile in the same way like yes a lot of journalists maybe would make much more if they switched and worked for Fox News but they want to make proper investigative journalism. And so I think this film is also about the, yeah, the kind of uh, value outside of cash value of, uh, of the press. What did you make of the performances of the leads? For example, Tom for Hanks, example. <laughs> for example, Tom Hanks what? being one of those leads. <laughs> I was thinking of, I was thinking and of Tobias Fouquet being one of the leads. <laughs> I do find it hard to take David Cross seriously he's in also, a serious he looks, role. He's very fat. I or spent that, is that cos- uh, pro- uh, prosthetics. Maybe I spent a good twenty seconds going who, who, <laughs> yeah. Tobias Fouquet, yeah, and Better Call Saul in there as well. Bob yeah. Odenkirk. Well, you know that they're... shout out to Bob Odenkirk. It was it's great to see shout him. In, well, great to see him in a role. Where <laughs> I've, I've no, I don't think I've seen him in anything but Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So. And he's in Kirby Enthusiasm as well. He po- he pops up, but he's. Um, I thought I thought he was fantastic. You know their old comedy partners. Yeah, David Cross and Bob Odenkirk. So, together again and oh god i think they actually <laughs> currently time, yeah. make a netflix show so okay. they've not been a part of that long. i actually think bob, <laughs> i actually think bob odenkirk was very very good in it in in this film um and he has quite a cool role like he's sort of uh he's so kind of principled and he's kind of oh to hell with it i'm just gonna go and do what i want i'm gonna be controversial here i don't know if people are gonna agree with me on this but although i enjoyed tom hanks's performance i did find it a bit like paint by numbers for Hanks. I thought it was he just sort of coasted his way through it. I didn't find it like like I watched I watched Spotlight last night for the first time and Michael Keaton's character in it uh is quite I'd say a similar character to Hanks's character in um The Post. I don't know, I just got more from from okay. Keaton than I did Hanks in, in The Post, I think. I thought I thought it was good. I just didn't think it was like wow good and I thought Streep was wow good, but Hanks was sort of Hanks is an interesting Hanks one. by numbers. Yeah. I, I was going to just say, yeah, it is Tom Hanks being Tom Hanks. But I... I don't necessarily like, have a problem with that. Yeah, <laughs> well, hold on I'm, a second, I'm hold fine. on a second. Because I, I was thinking, Tom Hanks, um, I think, divides opinion a bit because I was looking in the Time Out film guide and um, I think I was looking up and there was the movie, they're talking about the movie Castaway. And they were basically saying like, yeah, like Tom Hanks is bland as ever. I, I think it's quite harsh because I think Tom Hanks does have a bit of a range and he is um, he is brilliant at times. Uh, but I think some people regard him as being a bit of sort of like the Coldplay of actors. Very good example, yeah. Because it's just I like... I mean, I love Coldplay yeah, as well. <laughs> so it's just like, he's, he's kind of like every man, really solid. It's just like solid performance, get Tom Hanks. But I, I think sometimes he's deserving of more than that. Do you know what I would say about Tom Hanks, though? He's a very Steven Spielberg leading man hero. Mm. If you think about when we talk about Steven Spielberg, even Indiana Jones aside all the great heroes in Steven Spielberg films are always actually quite, quite vanilla. Bland. Yeah, <laughs> especially Jaws in Jaws. He's just so watchable, Tom Hanks, for me. Like, I, he's very I warm, I isn't he? He's just, he's with the possible like... exception of The Terminal, I don't think I've ever seen a Tom Hanks movie that I didn't enjoy. I've, I've always enjoyed Tom Hanks, but I think for me, like one of his best roles ever was Captain Phillips. I thought it was absolutely amazing. And it didn't, this is going to sound really weird, but I didn't feel like I was watching Tom Hanks in that. I felt like I was watching... Mm a real character and the the scene at the end where he's in medical oh. uh, is just absolutely That's incredible. why I'd agree with Patrick that he has actually got a bit of a range because that is so moving, that scene at the end, and I'm not sure many people could have pulled that off. I was just going to say, I don't disagree that he has a range. I just think Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. He's a bit like a warm cup of cocoa compared <laughs> to like a shot of tequila that maybe other actors would have okay. been in that role. Fair. But... Um, it's interesting one regarding actors generally because people would think of someone like uh, Morgan Freeman or like maybe Anthony Hopkins stuff as being you know they they are good actors but like Morgan Freeman 
can you think of many roles where he doesn't play Morgan Freeman or like playing like a wise older Morgan Freeman character like he his range is not wild like wildly impressive and Tom Hanks I'd say has a much wider range than that um, and is a very good actor but as you say like I, I'm not sure like it'd be interesting to see Tom Hanks playing a sort of psychopathic killer uh, yeah I think possibly we like sort of people overstate the importance of range for an actor as, as a, a sort of punter I know what you mean because in a way it's like sort of Leo Messi's left foot like it's a wand and he scores bags of goals with it like I don't necessarily go or sometimes I do, but I don't necessarily think like I'd, I just want to see Messi use his right foot exclusively for for a yes, game. So it's like you know what you're good at, do an extreme example like Hugh Grant. It's yeah. just like like we we've got a romantic comedy Hugh Grant's in it. It's like well I think I know what we're getting here. <laughs> so, but he does uh, it well. So yeah, like, no, I think I think Hanks was good in this. So yeah, I, I agree. I don't think he stole the show because Meryl Streep was was yeah. was really really good and just streepy. What does that mean? But the other thing is, is that I, I, this is a, a, a controversial one as well because that thing of whether you can separate um, an actor from their personality as a as a human. And Tom Hanks seems a very very likable guy. I think he's enormously popular, um, and he's like the polar opposite of a sort of Mel Gibson scenario, where it's, I find it now quite difficult <laughs> to separate what I know about Mel Gibson as a person from his films and his performances. But yeah, just on, just on on Meryl Streep, I think you sort of come away for it come away from the film feeling like you've been on a journey with her and the character because she just it develops so well over the course of the film and again there are some obvious there are sort of i think sometimes where they made it a bit too obvious kind of what they what they were trying to do but uh, i think generally speaking she was brilliant i completely agree that you 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 saw within the film uh, a development of the character, which was really impressive in the performance. And I didn't know much about the the historical figure of, of Catherine Graham, but reading about her since seeing the film, um, she talks about how she was initially um, very, very unsure of her, of herself and, and didn't feel competent. And she grew in, conf- in, in confidence um, and started to, you know, not take any nonsense from anyone. That was brilliant. I thought there were moments, it was a very nuanced performance, I think. And I really enjoyed, uh, for example, there's a scene early on, you know, when she meets um, Tom Hanks in, in, the, in the restaurant. She's advising him on something about the female readership and he shuts her down and says something like, yeah, get your finger out of my eye. And, and actually sort of silences her. And it's very much a sort of, I, I don't, well, I don't like the expression, but people say like kind of mansplaining moment. Presumably that I would say that's like certainly got to be something that that historical figure that, sh- that she dealt with. And I do think I would categorise it as being a feminist film in a, in a very good way, in that the, there are moments where the male uh, important characters are actually sort of uh, at each other's throats and being quite like boys um, and quite showy. And there's a moment where Tom Hanks says, well, I'm, I've got loads on the line as well. And his wife sort of quietly explains to him, they're like, yes, you do, but not compared mm. to her and to everything she stands for. I thought that was really good in the film. So I completely agree with almost all of that. The only thing I disagree with is that it felt to me like Meryl Streep was playing two characters brilliantly, one at the beginning of the film and one at the end of the film. But the nuance for me was missing in her development as a character because bearing in mind that this film, I think, takes place over the course of six days, when she actually changes, it's just one moment. So it's one phone call and her character literally like stands up straight and then she's a different character to end the film. And I just felt like for me, that didn't feel very realistic. Now, I don't know the exact details of the history from the time and maybe it was that she just on one phone call stood up and was a completely different person afterwards. But I felt like there was a bit missing in terms of seeing her change over the course of the film. It's like Anakin Skywalker, basically the Anakin Skywalker. Exactly problem. like Anakin <laughs> well, Skywalker. It's, it's that thing of, it, presumably there were moments um, where there were split second decisions that were that important and which which um, which she had to make like that or, or, or people like that had to make. And I know like there's that, there's that scene where she kind of is very upset um, you know, when, I think it's when she's looking at her, her granddaughter, is it? And mm. but anyway, she and she's talking about the legacy and what's been left to her and how much is on the line. And she seems quite vulnerable. And there's also that element of, uh, you know, oh, I sent my son to this war, and the anger because uh, that, that's what we haven't mentioned so far. It's also a film that's angry about the government should not like keep secret 
that like a war is being fought which is a complete mess and unwinnable and, which they, and they, they knew that it was and unwinnable, absolutely yeah. they knew and um uh yeah, is, the, so the, yeah. the, the the political element of that um is is is, is really valuable i think uh, one of my favorite scenes in the film and i this goes back to exactly what uh, well it's not exactly what were you saying before i i disagree with you a bit in that i thought the actual development of her was more gradual I didn't think there was like one point where she just switched. And I think this is particularly evident in the scene where she goes to visit McNamara. That was my favourite scene. At his house to talk to him. And there's a bit where I think she says, uh, I didn't come here to ask for your permission. I came here to seek your advice. And she like, clearly states the difference between she, the two yeah, and like, two things that, yeah, yeah so it's it's sorry the other way around but yeah it was that point where i felt like i could really see her turning into this like much stronger person that's, that's quite a poignant scene because she's also saying and she's not making it up that clearly he means a lot to her and that they're friends but she's saying like this you know this is too important well um, and, and also she's saying how could you do this yeah. she's yeah. saying well my son went and you did you and, Let him go. And Catherine Graham was, uh, as is touched on in the movie, like she was close friends with the Kennedys, with with Kissinger and things mm-hmm. as well. And like our friend uh, Christopher Hitchens, who wrote a book, like The Trial of Henry Kissinger, basically saying, as has now been done, interestingly, about like Blair and Bush, basically saying that these people should be tried for war crimes because they had this knowledge of of what uh, what complete chaos was going on and how unwinnable it was and how much the public was being lied to. And they still went along with it just as, you know, with the Iraq war, it's like going to war on a pack of lies about weapons of mass destruction. We've talked about Street, we've talked about Hanks. I thought it was a great cast in general, an incredible cast, really, and so many cameos. Bradley Whitford, I thought was very good. Sarah Paulson as well, who's from um, People vs. O.J. Simpson and American Horror Story. He plays Hanks's wife. What's the name of that guy who looks like Matt Damon? (laughs) I'm looking at Jesse Plemons. Oh, yes. so you're saying the guy from... Bre- oh, yep, three actors from Breaking Bad. Also right? yeah. known as Meth Damon. The lawyer. And, <laughs> and Fat Damon. <laughs> <laughs> so harsh. He, I thought he was good as well. And yeah, you mentioned Bob Odenkirk. He was brilliant. I thought that was quite a funny moment. I don't know if you um, noticed, Ollie. You know the bit where he takes the box of papers on the plane? Yeah. And he's like strapping it in. Stuart is like... Oh, oh yeah. must be a precious cargo. And he says, government secrets. The two people in front of us, or the couple in front of us, the bloke went, and, <laughs> and his wife turns and went, cover. <laughs> really it's like the time uh, we watched Star Wars and someone said, Palpatine. Well, this actually happened. This happened in this showing. Really? The, um, at the end, oh, no. the, the very end, you know, as the, the policeman was like, yeah, had, was like noticing that something was going on. And he's got his torch. And he's got his torch the... and showing it. And someone in the row in front turned to the person they were with and went, Watergate. <laughs> Which is, I love the said, idea that they're kind of showing off the rest yeah. of the cinema that like, I know what this Which is Which, as you say, when we went to see, uh, was it Phantom Menace? I think we went to yeah, see. Yeah. And, and back show. in the day, and uh, when Palpatine is on screen for the first time, someone yeah. went, Palpatine. <laughs> yeah. The Emperor, the Death Star. Linking, linking that, the Watergate point um to tone's point about sometimes maybe there was a slight lack of subtlety that was maybe one of the only drawbacks of the film is um i'd be interested to know what you thought of both the opening the very opening and also the final scene because i thought what was intriguing was that they were similar and that they were slightly to me very slightly sort of too obvious in how they were done and the opening certainly i mean it literally starts with the sound of a chopper and credence clearwater like if you're to do a cliche of vietnam that's what you have and and uh, just just very quickly that, that like that and the watergate ending i thought this was kind of an interesting li- little nod maybe both of those things the the helicopter with credence clearwater and a thing of someone uh, calling in saying that there's something going on with the Watergate thing, both occur in Forrest Gump with Hanks. So my biggest gripe with the film is the opening five minutes, I think. So the depiction of the Vietnam War is, I think, a massive lost opportunity for the film because it just seems really, like, glossy and it doesn't seem, like, very scary. It doesn't seem... Yeah, it, there's no horror of war there. So when it goes into the rest of the film, it, I don't think it carries over that sense of jeopardy from the war. 
And it's a film for grown-ups, really, like the way it's written, the way it moves, like the subject matter. is It's not a film for kids, I don't think. So I think they've missed a trick, like either showing the horrors of the war or not really just glossing it over because... I think it set a strange tone from the film at the beginning. I really enjoyed the film. It was just one thing which I was like, I don't know if I, I like agree that. agree maybe didn't need it, but then I, th- I thought the rest of the beginning of the film was a little slow. No, I was going to say, actually, I, I, I thought that the start was... Clever's not the right word, but it neatly kind of set the scene for the whole thing. And I agree that it, it did sort of, in some ways, trivialise it because it kind of glosses over it so quickly. But then you do see someone being pulled aside with no legs and... That's pretty horrifying. But basically, it was just like, you know, the reporter turns up there, a bit of rock and roll. It's like exciting, doesn't really know what he's doing, you know, doesn't have a hat or the, the rifle or whatever. Suddenly, shit hits the fan, and then he's writing about it, and he's like, wow. And then there's the bit with Matt Lamar on the plane, and he's just like, God, what? Just through the whole film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a bit with Matt Lamar on the plane where he's like, oh, he's one, like obviously, it? like, shit, like, we're. With basically with screwed, yeah. like it's all gone to shit, and then obviously then he talks to the media. He's like, "It's great, we're you know we're making significant progress." Bang it, credits, but in a way, like I, yeah, Spielberg, thanks, <laughs> yeah, screwed together yeah. at last. <laughs> but that just neat, that you know, that's a neat summation of everything. I thought it set the scene well because obviously with a film like that that's dealing with such a specific point in a much bigger story, perhaps for a lot of people that might have helped kind of put them in the picture. I'm somewhere between the two of you on that one or sort of the three of you with Baff uh, talking about the, the bit which came after that opening. But um, I think if you think of another Spielberg um, uh, film, Saving Private Ryan, that perhaps is most known, uh, rightfully so maybe, for its incredible opening, which I think like stands up today. And I, I saw that opening recently again. It's It's like, it's terrifying and horrific and you know it really is like how futile being a soldier on a battlefield like that and how horrible that is and that seemingly was a kind of even though it was at the start it was sort of centerpiece of the film and was so impressive this one I kind of agree with Dave that it was like it almost seemed like a bit of an afterthought like do we need a bit of we need a bit of nam footage to like do this but I, I didn't think it was done badly I just don't think it was it was that powerful and I'm not sure whether maybe they did need a bit of a, a clip of, of, of Vietnam footage. But I, I also think, I agree with Bath, that like it starts with that. And then for me, and I, I've spoken to a couple other people who, who felt the same, that the, the, I think the next little section was perhaps slightly unnecessarily slow, slow moving. Like I don't mind slow films in, in the slightest. And the film really sort of picked up pace and got more and more um, intriguing and exciting. But I felt there was a sort of, quite slow moving bit after that where you're not you're not really sh- too sure of what's going on and you just have to sort of stick with it i i kept falling asleep at the, in the first like Don't 20 minutes in movies, it was like though. an eight out of ten it was asleep. i know and it's just like like a 90 year old man watching a well, film well it was sunday you afternoon asleep in most films Why it was four o'clock asleep? on a sunday i mean it's my what's nap time and oh, no, i only nod, i nodded off for about a minute at the beginning anyway ollie i i didn't really think too much about the opening but in hindsight now listening to what you guys say I, I think I do agree um, convinced him most you, of our listeners will <laughs> <laughs> do you think that if like it being a bit more hacksaw ridge at the start it would have had more of an impact on how you felt about the rest of the story and the film I think uh, well sorry just very quickly I, I, I think that it would be a different film basically but then it would be more a film about uh, making people angry about um, the how ludicrously badly managed the Vietnam War was or you know the Iraq War or lots of these wars and, and how much is held back whereas more a film about about, um, about the press all I would say is I feel like if they if they'd mix up the way they depicted the war I feel like it could have been a much more impactful film whereas instead I feel like the vibe they've gone for is a romp and like a fun romp that explores like well, the, the press. start or the whole thing. The whole film. I feel really? like it's like a romp. Like at the fun end of it. romp when that guy's <laughs> legs get blown off at it's the start. Feel yeah. good film of the year. No, I just thought it was like enjoyable. It moved to like a fast pace. It, did, it, you know, was, it, was, it was zingy. Different. I know what you mean. Like, yeah. and it I had fi- Tom Hanks in it. So Exactly. Yeah. And Street. <laughs> <laughs> Directed yeah. together at last. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it could have been a very different film. Mm like tackled in the same way as maybe like a spotlight that and been quite serious about it, but it, it didn't go that way. I mean, it was very, uh, I, I always sort of struggle with like the concept of nostalgia. Cause I'm a very nostalgic person. I think, yeah, a lot of people are, but the, the nostalgia people have for like 
you know, the olden days where, okay, yeah, some things were might have been more pure and more uh, wholesome, the newspaper arriving and being chucked on thing, but then the backdrop is, you know, hundreds of thousands of people being sent to die, basically. Mm. It's like, you know, that's not much to be nostalgic about. So in that sense, the whole film was, it was relatively light. I do agree with you. It was like... Uh, it, it you know it was quite clean. It was nice. To well, it's funny at, at times. Yeah, as well. was, yeah, exactly. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't sort of dour. Uh, I think on, on just on the political, uh, less the press side, but the Vietnam side. Th- there's been a series of documentaries on um, about the Vietnam. Ken Burns. Yeah, the Vietnam um, which War. Which of which um, and it's it's interesting to me as well because my dad was in Vietnam during the war and uh, we've still got loads of his letters. And my mum said this as well. She said, like, it's amazing because, like, what the theme of this film is and what these documentaries about are just, like, all in my dad's letters about just how... Because he was, like, living on both sides. He's living, I mean, he was living with soldiers and also living with locals during the war and um, just talking about how utterly chaotic it was. And also, because he was, like, on the ground, he would then see news reports of what was supposedly going on and just knew that it was just utter lies. That's interesting. Mm. We gave it good scores, didn't we? We all, we all gave it a positive rating, but none of us gave it 9 mm. or 9.5. Were there things that people didn't like about the film? I know we mentioned a few of them, maybe a little bit slow at the start. Was there anything else? And I, I wondered if when you've got a film like this, a project like this that's so kind of like, there's so much like Hollywood royalty in the film, Street Hanks, Spielberg, um, yeah, and and other, the whole cast is you know it's like a massive cast of of great Ensemble. actors, and it's about this really important thing. Like, is there a danger that you could be blinded to it a little, be blinded to some of the weaknesses, or or just think, well, this this must be good because it's. Well, I was going to ask. Uh, I wonder what Dave thought about that as well, because I, we, I, I, I keep forgetting which film you mentioned, but you, there was a film you didn't like because you felt that it was just for the Oscars. What was it? Like it was designed for award. Uh, Manchester by Sea. Manchester by the Sea. Manchester by the Sea. Um, I'll briefly mention The Darkest Hour in a minute. But again, like that's a film where there's a bit of an accusation of like, like let's get an Oscar. Let's do that. And there's an element of the sort of, do you remember Kate Winslet in uh, Extras? And uh, he, <laughs> like, the character saying to her like, oh, it's really admirable you're doing this film about the Holocaust. So she's like, well, no, I mean, you do a film about the Holocaust, you get an Oscar. Or you, like, you portray someone like with a disability, you get an Oscar. And um there's maybe a bit of an element there where if you do a film about subject matter that that's that, of that much import that you're kind of like, I don't think it's cynical though, the film in terms of like trying to get awards. I do think there's a legitimate reason for doing that film now as well. But I think they'll be disappointed because I don't think they've actually been nominated for that many awards. I okay. think, they, I think okay. Streep has been nominated for an Oscar for it. And she, she deserves a nomination. It is sure. up for best picture. Well, I think Streep, I do think Streep was... Uh, is just she's very very solid. Um, it's very good in the film. Like both leads are good, but I, I mean I, I don't think it will win best picture. But it, it's it's uh, yeah. I think no. I think overall I really enjoyed it. I thought it was yeah it was pretty immaculate in most parts. Uh, as I said before, you know with the the people involved, you kind of can't go wrong. And, and impressive that it was turned around so quickly because everything sort of looked and hung together quite nicely. The the only downside for me was just some bits were a bit too obvious, and I think none of it really hit me. It didn't. I didn't walk away being like wow, mm. or like there weren't really any any parts of it that made me emotional or mm. that excited. But it, uh, then again, it was an eight, so it, uh, yeah, it was all pretty yeah. good. Yeah, I know what you mean. I really, I really enjoyed. I it. really enjoyed it. But it's interesting. Ollie mentioned that he watched Spotlight last night, and that's the same. Uh, writers, it's yeah, same screenwriter, screen, same screen and writer. a similar theme in similar in terms theme of, journalism yeah. exposing this massive story, and that I agree with you, Tane. Like that hit me much more, had much more impact on me. And that I've, at the end of the film, I was like, "Wow, oh my, oh my god, this is an incredible thing." I think it, I think it was because that I think Spotlight deals with the subject matter and the whole press thing, whereas like I think the Post deals a little bit with the subject matter at the start and then the rest of the film is just about mm-hmm. the, the say the stuff of the press whereas spotlight both are running through the whole film i saw a i saw a poster for the post um and it, with like all the reviews on it it's quite interesting seeing like review from the washington post like four star but i love the idea of it's like one star it's just like <laughs> well it's actually quite interesting because um some people who worked at the new york times 
at the time have taken objection to the film and saying it's it's not very good history because it sort of it sort of portrays it that the Washington Post was like really instrumental in breaking the story or the fact that the film's called The Post. It's like a story about the Post breaking the story. But it was actually the New York Times that did the mm. digging in the first place. They broke the story. The injunction went out against them. And then the, the decision for The Post was whether they repeat what was in the New York Times. And the New York Times journalists won Pulitzer Prizes for their work on that which the Washington, they didn't have to share it with the Post reporters. It was very much the New York Times' story. It's kind of interesting in a way that that story has then been told from the perspective of the Post. I do think there's, um, it's a film where they, they also touch on some other subjects which are, which are massive, uh, like whether it's sort of treason to be giving the public um, kind of classified things or whether it's like your duty. Um, and again, that's a sort of like Snowden um, situation mm. where it's like should people know this or is it putting us all at, at risk um but i do think like it's okay for a film to just sort of hint at these massive uh issues and not explore them too much because you, you'd rather have it as it was and like dave said it moves along at like a really good rate after what i thought was initially like a bit of a slow patch um rather than if you had like a really bloated like i wouldn't have enjoyed this film it was like three and a half hours and tried to do too much, mm -hmm. so I think it was quite it was quite compact and well done. But just uh, you know, I, I do think, and obviously we've got Ready Player One coming out later in the year, uh, which would be very very different. That's directed by Spielberg as well. Yeah, yeah. I like I do like Spielberg. Uh, the only reason I bring it up is because it was something we were going to talk about whether you prefer sort of Spielberg doing like serious work. But I do like I really enjoyed Bridge of Spies. Uh, so yeah, I do. I do like this little trot that Spielberg's in. Yeah, well, let's ha let's have a let's have a big Spielberg dis discussion when that comes out as yeah. well, and we can talk about that thing of whether you're in the kind of Jaws Jurassic Park camp or whether you're in your sort of Munich. Um, Is that what you were about to say? Just wanted it to get a nod. Yeah, Jurassic Park <laughs> <laughs> always has to get a mention. <laughs> Two magic words. <laughs> so yeah, we're coming towards the end here. Remind me, can we remind ourselves what we gave it as scores? So I gave it seven point five. I gave it eight. I was an eight. Uh, eight from Ollie. Uh, and a seven from me. And is everyone happy with this? Everyone content with the score yeah. they gave it yep. after that discussion? Pretty happy, yeah. So once again, we haven't actually achieved anything. No, here, really. <laughs> um, just very quickly, I'd say, did you feel that, I mean, what what Catherine Graham's known for, or what the Washington Post and that, that period, the real like massive story um, was then Watergate and um, the downfall of, of Nixon. I mean, you don't think that there's sort of like a sequel coming like in that or, or but because obviously as i say that ending shot and that end um which is it's almost identical actually to the bit in forest gump where you know uh forest calls in the thing saying like, oh i think they've lost uh i think there's been a power cut because they're using torches and they're like looking around in desks and stuff uh well this happened in this one and then that's how the film ends there's obviously a very large amount to come after that i mean or do you think that's like too much covered in films that have already happened I think people have said that it is, and I think you talked about this earlier, that it is kind of just a prequel to All the President's Men okay. and that All the President's Men pretty much picks up from that exact moment. So okay. I think even Spielberg might have said, as like a joke or Tom Hanks has, it's kind of an unofficial prequel to All the President's Men. Sure. So I don't think Spielberg would necessarily make that film, but it might be worth making because I don't think a lot of young people today would watch that. And having mm. watched The Post, they've probably only got half the history. Mm based on UK sort of young people, because we don't really get taught about that at school. Yeah. It's a good film, All the Presidents, man. Redford, Hoffman. Together at last. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's The Post. What are we talking about next time, guys? Uh, I think we're talking about Annihilation, the Alex Garland film, and potentially The Shape of Water as well, whichever we get around to reviewing first. So if you're a fan of one of those films... Uh, look out for it. Well, they're not out yet, are they? But if, if you're going well, to look out for it in future, if you're going to see them yeah. and you, you want some top level analysis, if if you if you really want to see them, we'd advise that you watch it beforehand, because again, our reviews will be riddled with spoilers. By the way, I was just thinking, cool. uh, all eights there, seven there, seven point five here. We're just giving it a seven point five overall. Yeah, I'd, no, I'd, it's probably seven. Oh, sure. probably you have to round it, it up. Hitting the nail on the head. Ollie's, done, Ollie's holding up his phone. The calculator app's open. He's done the math. It's a 7.7 7 out of 10 is what we're giving it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I suppose technically you should round that down to 7.5. <laughs> <laughs> <Interesting. laughs>
rather yeah, than nice. yeah. yeah, which is Asia's school. Maths boy, isn't shame. Yeah. By the way, a few people have asked, why is it called The Little Film Podcast? It's not about little films, is it? No, because our first film, Star Wars The Last Jedi, is very much probably a big film. Yeah, one of the biggest. And, and this is a big film. So, well, do you want to answer that, Adam? Shall I answer my own question? It's called The Little Film Podcast because that's what people say, isn't it? Oh, I listen to your little film podcast. So it's sort of preempting mm. that kind of snide, like you're just doing. Oh yeah, your yeah. Petty no, little... I, I listen to your little podcast. Yeah, how's your yeah. little podcast going? How's your little film podcast going? Yeah. So how's your little book coming along, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> we did have some alternative names. How's those little we? pizzas going? <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, we need to put the pizzas in. We did have some alternative names, didn't we? Uh, what do we? What else do we have? Deep dive movies, pod races, the pod race. Dave came up with one that was. A very close second, which was Danny Movito. That's terrible. Wow. <laughs> and we also had we Danny Movito is brilliant. I named you by name there because we I, had <laughs> we also had film studies, film studies. But we could have had film studies. It would have been film studies plus Adam. It's a bit like <laughs> yeah. the big four and Bath was another. I think film studies as well isn't the sort of thing that you know the kids of today are going to pick up off their podcast shelf and be yeah. like, oh yeah, it's like having an essay in the word. Yeah, title, exactly. So. So the next episodes are Annihilation and The Shape of Water. But Patrick, I think you just wanted to very quickly tell us about Darkest Hour. Yeah, very, very quick. Which uh, you've seen and none of the rest of us yeah, have. Yeah, very, very quick um, review of Darkest Hour. So just another hour or so, guys, if yeah. you want to just... Settling, boys and girls. <laughs> Patrick, there's 21 hours left on the recorder. So if you can keep it to the... just that. keep it to the real crux of the matter. Um, so yeah, Darkest Hour. Is it, I think it's, is it also up for best film? Like The Post, which we've all agreed, giving it a 7.7 average, is well worth seeing. Darkest Hour, definitely worth seeing. Um, it's very much dominated by the central performance of a, 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 an extraordinarily unrecognisable uh, Gary Oldman. There are flickers. Every now and again, you sort of, you see like a slight smile. I think we, we kind of pick him out of his incredible incredible sort of prosthetics but he's virtually unrecognizable but play doing um an incredible job of portraying churchill and it's a weird one at the moment because it's like there's been a few things with churchill in them lately well going back a few years we had the king's speech we've uh then got john lithgow playing churchill in the crown um there was peaky blinders yep uh churchill in peaky blinders we've also got um, brian cox Brian, Brian Cox, Cox yeah. playing Churchill and Brendan Gleeson, I believe, has also done Churchill in the last few years and Albert Finney. So there's been a lot of Churchill going on. Um, this one, it reminded the movie itself as well. And I, I listened to the Kermode review of it and I somewhat agreed in that uh, rather like Lincoln, I think it's a remarkable impression or portrayal of, uh, of a famous historical figure. And it is, it is incredible, an incredible performance. The movie itself is is perfectly fine and it's 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 good and it's it's great subject matter like Lincoln, but it's it's mainly a sort of vehicle for a for a for a performance and I I I feel that like Lincoln, there's there's quite a strong shot of um, Gary Oldman getting the Oscar for it and it would be deserved because it's a, rather like uh, Ben Kingsley who played Gandhi and also played Don Logan in Sexy Beast, who's like one of the most despicable horrible characters in anything ever. Gary Oldman, maybe to a bit of a lesser extent, but if you've seen things like Leon, or he's in a movie called Murder in the First, and there's a few others where he's playing kind of, he plays these sort of quite psychopathic um, characters. And then to play Winston Churchill, who he looks nothing like and sounds nothing like, um, and to do it so well is is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's well worth seeing. I'd probably give that a similar sort of 7.5 out of 10. 7.6. Yeah. I've, I've, heard, I've heard sort of mixed things. I, yeah, I've heard, as you say, very good things about Oldman but sort of you know people saying is it a great performance in a sort of average movie I th oh, well it's it's towards that I think it's more than an average movie and there are some wonderful scenes and there are there's the sort of accounts of like are people cheering and clapping um when Churchill gives a speech Which slightly worries me in that like you could get a sort of Britain for Britain first kind of audience who who, who love the kind of image of Ch Churchill and that sort of thing and and I think uh, like a a lot of historians watching it might think like it's a bit of a kind of portraying um, Churchill in a in a completely positive light, where he Churchill's fascinating because he was like such an extraordinary character and was wonderful with words, but was also 
a, a tricky character and um, didn't always get things right. So it's it's not that nuanced, but it is it is a, a, a brilliant impression. And I suppose just to finish up, if you were going to recommend, having seen both of those two films, one of them for someone to go and watch, our listeners to go and watch, although hopefully they won't have seen the post because we've, we've spoiled <laughs> They will have seen the post because we've, we've really spoiled that one. Wh- which one would you say is better? Which one would you recommend? Out of which two, sorry? The Post and Darkest Hour. The two well, films we've talked about tonight. I thought you meant Lincoln as well. Uh, no, um, <laughs> that's tricky. <laughs> I, re- I really, I really was glad that I went to see both of them. I c- I'm not sure I could choose between two. One thing I would say is that The Post is a much more relevant film right now. I actually just saw a review of uh, Darkest Hour where someone said, like, yes, yeah, it's fine, but, like, why is it being made other than, like, it's about to be the Oscars? <laughs> like, like, like what, what's the reason for doing, like, a Churchill film right now? I'm not sure there's, like, a... Like a we're not celebrating a particular like number of years since mm. that moment or anything. But I mean, so I, I do think the post to get like a, an interesting look at like what's going on with Trump and the media and that sort of thing, like the post would be, it would be the more the one, the film for the moment. Which one had the better experience for you in the cinema? Did you see them both at the Mallard? Saw them both at Mallard, both in the same room as well. One time the cinema was absolutely full and we were uh, front row, but to like to one side and the other time, completely on our own. Pat, for our international listeners, could you just explain the Mallard? Okay, so the Mallard is our local Guernsey cinema. Um, it's very much the premier cinema in Guernsey, and the worst. It's the only one. Um, it's funny because it's an independent cinema, um, and you'd think, like, okay, small population, independent cinema, we could do something really fun and cool here. Um, it isn't. It's tiny, uh, one of the screens, so I saw it in screen two and I'd seen uh, Darkest Hour there as well. Screen two probably has about 20 seats. The screen is a bit like an old fashioned widescreen TV with some curtains. Any other cinema in the world is uh, tiered so that the seats behind are like a bit higher up so that you can see. But the Mallard, they, they chose not to do that. They just did their own thing. So in fact, if there's anyone taller than you in front, you just can't see anything. Me and Ollie went to watch Moonlight there a year or so ago. Do you remember that? <laughs> Fantastic. We literally walked in. It was like a one-off screening because the other thing about the Mallard, they don't get all the movies. Most of the movies they get are, you know, the blockbusters. They get one in three. So. <laughs> yeah. So it was just a one-off screening of Moonlight. So it was absolutely packed, but we turned up like 10 minutes late or certainly the movie had started already. Yeah. So we walked Everyone in. Everyone certainly settled in and, and we're ready for the film. It's completely full apart from two seats in the middle which quite obviously for me and Ollie we're like excuse me sorry can we just And hold on you, so you're 6'2 Ollie's 6'3 You've maybe given me an inch there but okay. for the yeah I mean the listeners can't see me so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah 6'4 six, To explain six, four. Yeah. So yeah we, we walk in and yeah I have to go like oh sorry excuse me can I just get through here Me and Ollie sit down this woman behind us just goes, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> like, I'd just like to add, like, walking in, I saw their faces that they were sat watching this film with not anyone in front of them. They couldn't have been happier. They couldn't yeah. believe their luck. Literally. The only two seats in the cinema that were empty were in front of them. Yeah. For, for, the, for, our, for our social mead, we'll put up the photo of uh, my view from watching uh, Rogue One. Yeah. Um, which was just the back of a bald man's head. <laughs> I remember going to watch Avatar there and I had to go out halfway through the screening to tell a member of staff that the film had gone out of focus. <laughs> okay, so the last three films I've watched there, they've turned the lights on before it ended. They did that for me with the post, yeah. yeah. They, they turned the lights okay, on. Okay, and then sound-wise, any film which isn't... Um, exp- if, okay, if it's a film with explosions and things, then it's uh, it's just not very loud and there's no real drama. And if it's any film with a lot of dialogue, you just can't really hear it. Yeah. So I mean, my mum remembered watching Brokeback Mountain there. She said, complete waste of time. Not <laughs> only is it really quiet, but they've all got moustaches, so you can't even see. <laughs> can't even forget any film with Tom Hardy. Because <laughs> he either mumbles, or he's got the Bane mask, or in Dunkirk, he's got the, the war apparatus stuff round his face. So you just you can't hear a word. I watched Brokeback Mountain there as well, and yeah, it's just a lot of... Just, <laughs> And uh, I remember the last film I saw with you, uh, with you there, Ollie. You had to go out and tell them that the no one could hear anything because the air conditioner right yeah. next to the speaker rattling, and it's so quiet that it you was, can't. It hear was anything. like going into a lift and having like the world's best panpipes anthology on. It was just yeah. was so 
annoying. <laughs> it's like the opposite of that thing if Carlsberg did cinemas. Yes. It's like, what's the worst thing you could do? But my tie, my tie ad, though, uh, it is the only cinema we really have in Guernsey. So. Yeah, I still get excited yeah. about going. <laughs> um, and, and the other thing, the name Mallard Double Bill Cinema, presumably at one point, it was a, it was a pun, because Mallard Duck Double Bill but it's not a double bill cinema. Double bill cinema is you saw a B movie and an A movie, so it doesn't even work on that level. So, but hopeless. we all managed to see the post there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, except for me, I watched it in Jersey at the Cineworld. A lot better. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Dave. Very comfortable seating. Uh, lovely staff. Really friendly. Yeah, yeah. What, what are the carpets like there, Tone? Uh, Tall man in front of you. Yeah, I have to say, no one in front of me. About, about four of us in the cinema. So lovely. Did you get there uh, on time? for this viewing yeah. so remember Star I, Wars you were a little late actually though just when you're saying about people coming in late I do think they should lock the doors at the cinema and that, I, <laughs> that, that's bullshit no no not lock people in but they should lock late come, and I realised that I'd miss probably 60% of the films I went to watch <laughs> I, I wouldn't ever see because I wouldn't get in because I'm normally late but it is annoying when you think you've settled in because this was it was a really quiet cinema for uh, for the post, and about twenty people came in like during the penultimate trailer, and I was just and that annoyed me. Okay, while we're in annoyances at the cinema during our screening of the post, which me and Adam went to see, there were three gentlemen in front of us who were both uh, well, sorry, all three were going for going for gold uh, for the most toilet visits in a <laughs> film screening, and I was it. One guy went three times in two hours, Maybe like just in and out. Well, Firstly, whoever thought popcorn was a good idea in a cinema, especially for a quiet film, it's fine if there's like loads of explosions and stuff going on. It's an incredibly loud, annoying food. This is the guy, this is coming from the guy who bought a Chinese takeaway yeah, into quiet. a screening of bats. Yeah, quiet. Prawn crackers are not quiet. <laughs> okay, but hold on. So to watch, uh, so watch Darkest Hour went with Sana. No joke. Her, she brought food with her. Do you know what she brought? Those Grissini breadsticks. <laughs> so it's, like, it's like, how can I find a food which is louder? And then, again, I'm not exaggerating. We went to watch The Post. She brought with her a, a, a very large bag of crisps. Um, started eating them. She seems to only eat them when it's a really quiet moment of the film. So it's just this crunching sound. Um, I looked across. They're crinkle cut. It actually said on the bag, extra crunch. <laughs> and like jokingly, she'd almost finished them. And I was like, oh, are you sure you've got enough crisps there? Because it's one of these family bags. She goes, well, I've got another bag here. <laughs> when you brought Chinese into the cinema, that was ludicrous. Because you... You were sat there rolling up duck pancakes yeah. in and front ribs. of Batman. And you ribs. were fond of so. a... You were like, yeah, you don't just have one dish or two. You like a spread. I like a spread of dishes. And so you were just like... You had things balanced left, right and centre. You were like reaching across to dip things in. <laughs> I had a conversation with you what would be the most <laughs> annoying food to bring into cinema. And I came up with... I went with a load of foods. Carrots. All sorts of things like that. <laughs> Eventually thought of this, uh, a really large bag of just ice cold apples. <laughs> Can you imagine? So you, you gradually finish one and then the people around you are like, oh, thank God for that. And you just reach in and grab another one. Okay, guys. I think that's pretty much the end, isn't it? We've got My some pizza. <laughs> We've got some pizzas that need to go in the oven. Uh, but yeah, thanks very much. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> Your face, don't you get <laughs> I'm having to lean across we're sharing a mic <laughs> behind the scenes okay cool see you next time guys cheers cheers bye bye And the next question is uh, ratings. Can we? Are we doing half marks? We are doing half marks. Okay. okay. Oh, that's so, interesting. But but let's not do decimals. It's just like yeah, such half, and such point and five. A half or, if we're doing decimals, we might, we might as well do, do it out of hundred. Yeah. We should do it out of hundred. Do it out of a thousand. No. <laughs> doing it out of seven thousand. <laughs> it's actually quite funny. Like, uh, for me, four thousand three hundred and ninety-two. Like, uh, what is it? What's that? What would that be out of? 10? <laughs> yeah.
Was it the guy from In the Loop? in it as well the young chap Good piece sound on that <laughs> <laughs> rivaling me yeah well, I, I don't know the actor's name uh he's i'm sure he's this a is great chat no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. cut this out yeah. i like to think that i anticipated that that was to watch batman and robin i think the arnold schwarzenegger one with uh, mr freeze uh, I anticipated that it was a bad enough film that I could get away with that. <laughs> a little uh, shout out as well to Guernsey's Best Chinese, which happens to be next to the Mallard. <laughs> Treasure chest. <laughs> <laughs> Treasure house. You didn't even get the name right. <laughs> Possibly at the end, don't do it now, but the time, was it McRae or was it Tone, who exploded a bag yeah. of, of Maltese, no. which then rolled. Revels. <laughs> <laughs> Revels. <laughs> Is it Revels or Revels? Revels. 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 I mean, the, 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 just to get on to Revels, the issue with the Revel as well is that they're all different shapes. So Especially they, in the they, dark. They roll at a different speed. <laughs> <laughs> but also, so, well, yeah. also some thing. are more hollow than others yeah. as well. 